This podcast is sponsored by Box 5 Software, creators of Envision 3D Drill Design Software, found at box5software.com. A great show has music design, drill design, guard design, props, costumes, uniforms, guard equipment, travel, instruction. The list can be a long one. Does the amount of money a program has to spend determine its ability to be successful? It's another part of being a director, and that is is you have to think about the program you want to put together. And then what are your kids, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, and where is your money going to be best spent, and what can you afford? Or in the case about design teams and instructors, who can you afford? Well, the bottom line is, I mean, it sounds funny, but you put the most beautiful lady in the Miss America pageant in the ugliest dress, and she's not going to win. An interesting discussion about making smart choices with the resources you do have, why this matters, and some ideas for making this matter less. A discussion about money on the Marching Roundtable. This podcast is brought to you by Envision 3D Drill Design Software, the only true 3D drill design software available for marching bands, winter guards, indoor percussion groups, and drum corps. If you write drill or design for marching music groups, Envision enables you to plan and execute shows that push the creative boundaries of your show designs. Download your free version at www.box5software.com and see for yourself. Hey everyone, welcome to the Marching Roundtable. This is Tim Hinton. Joining me tonight, Dr. Joe Allison. How are you, Joe? Adequate. How are you, Tim? Adequate. I've had a long day too, but I'm really happy to be doing this. Also with us tonight, Greg Basham. How are you, Greg? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. And if uh, Joe's adequate, then that would be the first time in a while. (laughs) I've moved up a notch. (laughs) I was going to say, we can take that one of two ways. (laughs) Trey Harris from Bassett High School. Trey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tim? I'm great. Thanks for joining us again on another podcast. You always have a lot of really smart and helpful things to say, so uh, don't disappoint. Well, what about Greg and me? <laughs> Golly, it's time to hang up the radio. That's what like, is time the deal? Off. This is the Hillbilly Hoedown. We all contribute except for you. All right, that's true. I'm going to try to stay out of it with you three East Tennessee boys. Uh, before we start, though, Greg, I know we're recording this in the middle of December, and your daughter Ainsley was the star as Clara in the Nutcracker. I want to know how it went. It, it went really well. It went really well. She um, uh, had a great time. She uh, had two two uh, really fantastic performances. Uh, the last one was a little better than the first one. You know, you, you, we all know how it is when you perform. You, you come off the stage, and you want some things back here and there. And, of course, she's no different than anybody else. But, um, you know, on uh, Sunday, she, she felt really good about it, so. Well, that's awesome. And you were on stage too, right? I was. It was, I, it was, uh, it's really nice. My wife, um, she and I, uh, have been playing the stall bombs for a couple of years now, the host parents of the, of the party. And it was nice that, uh, we got to play the host parents for Ainsley while she was Clara this year. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Joe, have you ever been on stage in a ballet? Not in a ballet. Thank God. But could you, I think I'd look good in a tutu. Actually, at my age, it'd have to be a two-three, but still. <laughs> oh, brother! How about I'm you, thinking, Trey? Me? No, I've never been in any type of 
ballet type situation. I, I can't say. Trey, Trey, that's not true. Actually, my, that is my not. understanding at uh, at uh, rookie talent night at uh, cadets one year. Ah, uh, we won't. Go I thought down. I saw him in a bar one time, and he had on uh, toe shoes. <laughs> Actually, that what they call it. Actually, I kind of forgot. Last year, they uh, or two years ago here, they had our um, one of the um, organizations here had a thing called dancing, dancing for the arts in our community, and they took community people. Um, there was a school board member. Um, there were a couple teachers. Um, there were several different people from different walks of life, and uh, we all, they did a. Uh, uh, just kind of like dancing with the stars, and we had to dance two dances, and we had dance coaches and everything. So, wow. Was, wow! Yeah, I did the tango, and then we kind of we got to do like a free dance. So, what was your free dance? White man overbite? Uh, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you I see, that never, we did old time heard that. Or, uh, Chuck Taylors and, and all. So, well, hey, the last stop one? it with the Chucks! I wear, I've got on a pair now. <laughs> I do have an overbite, but when I take my teeth out, it's worse. <laughs> oh, good grief. Okay, well, this this conversation is going downhill fast, so I'm going to jump in. And get a- oh, you're going to save it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. I'm just going to stay out of the way and let you guys go, and then every now and then I'm going to corral you. But we wanted to talk, you know, putting the nutcracker on the stage is a very expensive, complicated process. Well, so is putting any kind of performance together, particularly these marching band performances that we're always talking about and working on. And it can be very, very expensive to field a a high-end marching band show. So we wanted to talk about, is, is that, you know, does money at this point in the day and age determine your success. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. Of course, success has lots of um, definers, but we'll just say like competitive success at major contests or whatever. Um, do you have to have the budget? Well, I mean, I think it depends on where, where you're planning to compete. I mean, who, who you, who, who is it that you, who is it that you want to go and um, allow yourself to be compared with? Okay, so the competitive circuit you're a part of obviously is, plays a big part in sort of how important it is or how much you have to spend. Yeah, and how far you travel and things of that nature. I've always wanted, I think it would be interesting to see a, a ranking or a, an accounting, and I'm not, I, this isn't going to happen, but an accounting of budgets for different groups compared to their competitive ranking at national and regional contests. Well, to see I mean, how proportional it is. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, Tim, there's, there's so many moving parts on this. It's almost hard to sit and just quantify it. I mean, you, I think for every time we give an example of someone who, um, has, who has a big budget and has, um, money to spend on, um, the various things that, I mean, the different ways you can spend money, travel, uh, props, uh, new uniforms, all of those things. You're also going to be able to find someone who doesn't have that money and, is able to be very successful um, because of just plain old hard work and dedication. And then they're able to, to, to squeeze enough money together just to make sure that their, their show has some of that sparkle that, that it needs in order to, um, to, you know, to make it, you know, something that's really spectacular. Don't, don't you guys think though that I, I agree, but don't you think that 
in order to really have all the details and the level of polish and design that you've got to spend money on good design, getting people to write you good design. You've got to find spend money on those props, those costumes, the guard, flags, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you can do it cheaper, but are you going to have the level of show that somebody else is going to have if they do have those details? Well, there's that. You know, obviously there's the design aspects of it and how technical it's become, but there's also the instructional uh, aspects of it. That's the thing that I relate to. My last six or seven years of teaching at Sumter High School, there might have been on a good day four people out there cleaning drill. You know, you go to a drum corps rehearsal, there's a there's a tech out there for every kid. Yeah. I mean that you know, that is a big that is a big piece of it is and that's something that we talk about all the time. And I and I've said this on on the podcast before. When I was able to get more people involved in educating the kids and get good people in place, the band got better exponentially because I wasn't trying to do everything myself. So that certainly, you know, that certainly plays a role in it. But, you know, um, we'll go to Perry Elliott again. Perry Elliott has a thing he likes to call the learn while you don't earn. He's uh, <laughs> the band at Elizabethan High School. Elizabethan just doesn't have a lot of money, and they've been very successful for a long time, for, in a large part because of him. But because he also finds the right pieces, and when I say pieces, I mean people to put in place um, uh, to in order to in order to make sure that the kids are getting what they need instructionally to be able to perform well. And Trey can attest to this because we used to stand around in college and go, "I can't believe he's going to use those flags right there for a third year in a row." But Perry would buy a set of he'd buy a new flag each year, and then you'd look at that flag until it until it was threadbare, wouldn't you, Trey? Absolutely. I mean, I think he made quilts out of them. He still uses them today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Trey, you've won all these state championships in a row, so you know what you've had to do to have a very successful program. And I know that a lot of it has to do with good teaching, hardworking kids. I'm I'm not negating that in any way. But we have to admit that if you have a really well designed show that you've paid somebody maybe to do at a high level, and you have very expensive looking props, costumes for the guard, new flags, that's gotta make a difference to the effect of the show. I, I think typically in the first Joe maybe can chime in on this too, um, especially from well maybe upstairs and downstairs, but I think a lot of times the first twenty or thirty seconds of a show, you're sitting there going, player or might be a player or not a player. And most of it, you've only seen 30 seconds. Most of it is what you've seen coming on the field and what you've observed just in the first 30 seconds. Do you agree with that, Joe? Actually, there's lots of documentation to, to corroborate that. There's one study that says that that an assessor gets something like 80% of their evaluation of a group in the first 18 seconds. Yeah. They yeah. like him apples. But yeah, you're, the wheels are turning all the time. I mean, it's, that's why I'm sure we all do this. I used to preach to the kids from the moment any one of them is visible to the audience, they're performing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, yeah, Tim, I do think, um, you know, you can be creative in how you spend your money. Uh, but I think it's really a culmination of all of them. I think mean, it's important for your, your props to look good. They don't have to be spectacular. Uh, but they need to, they need to look good. And you, of course, have to have a good staff. And of course, you need a good, a good design team. I, I think really, if you let any of those go, I mean, there are people 
uh, even in the drum corps world who use zero props and they're great, you know, uh, but you better take care of your design and you better take care of your, your staff. I think those, for me, those two, even though we use props every year, uh, those two are more important for me than props. I mean, we, we had this really cool birdcage this year, the show that we did. And, I mean, it was, for goodness sakes, it was PVC. Right, so it created the effect. So what, go, let's go yeah, back a minute. It probably what, what, looked like we spent 10. No, yeah, well, what was your uh, what was your point about the first 18 seconds of the show? Are you saying that... Um, like, this year I went to Grand Nationals. I did, not, I did not take my band, but I went to watch. And you can almost tell who the players are before before Chuck Enson says joining us. I mean, it's it's almost obvious um, the way they come on the field. And really, ten percent of the bands now march on in a block. Now there's something going on. People coming out of the tunnel. You can tell by the way the girls walk around the field and set their equipment. You, I mean, you can just you can tell in the first twenty thirty seconds who you better sit up and watch and who you wish you might have gone to get a hot dog for. And I'll tell you a, a great uh, sort of exception that proves the rule thing about how that works. The year It was either the year or the year after that DCI uh, allowed these pre-shows to occur and uh-huh. everybody was doing them. In the top 12, there was one, there was one notice, notable exception to that. And it was the Blue Devils, the year they did that Cabaret Voltaire show. You could hear crickets. Yep. And it's like that was a con- obviously a conscious decision that they would come out in a professional manner and stand there while everybody yep. else was jumping on their heads and doing all these, these different things. And you better believe they were playing off of that expectation of first impressions. Right. Right. Yeah. I, like I said, you know, I watched probably 60 bands maybe that weekend. I watched most, a lot of Friday and, and most all Saturday. At nationals, and it was just um, there were some really great bands who didn't use props, and there was bands who did use props, and it was for me within the first thirty seconds, you almost knew whether they were going to be uh, good, great, or unbelievable. Almost in the first thirty seconds. Okay, yeah. but this money we're talking about spending is not just for props and and guard equipment. We're also talking about the level of instruction, the level of design. And I think that, right. that those guard girls that come out and you know that they're going to be amazing, that they've been trained to do right. to look yeah. that way. Yeah, that's well, what I Yeah, I still think props for me, my personal thing of importance of spending money would be number three. I mean, you can have props that you spent $20,000 on. And if your drill rider doesn't get the right people in the right place, it just doesn't matter how, how nice yeah. your props are. And I'm here to tell you, judges have conversations about that. It's like if you bring out a bunch of big, gaudy or high, highly present props, you darn well better use them well. Yep. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just considered kind of a crutch. And I, you know, the first, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to think to examples of this. The, our listeners would probably relate to this. Look at the first, watch the first, I don't know, 30 seconds of this year's Marian Catholic show. Yep. There's nothing out there that's, uh, looks like a prop or anything that's going to grab your attention all that much. But all of a sudden, there's one narrator and about 30 guard kids performing their fannies off with no equipment, no nothing, except for themselves. And you talk about stating a pedigree from the first note. Yeah. And that's what they were saying. We don't need tricks. Watch this. 
Yeah. Well, I think, it, Tim, it goes to what you're talking about, though. I think you, you know, it, it's another part of being a director, and that is, is you have to think about the program you want to put together. And then what's the, you know, what are your kids, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, and what, where is your money going to be best spent, and what can you afford? Or in, in the case that, you know, you keep talking about design teams and instructors, who can you afford? You know, it's just, it's, right. it's really, it's really become all, it's really become no different than anything else. I mean, NFL pro football team does the same thing. A baseball team does the same thing. Here's our budget. What are the best pieces we can put in place in order to make sure that we get the most out of it? Am I going to, am I going to break the bank on an arranger and then find a pretty good drill rider because, you know, it, we play really well, and that's really where I need to take advantage of what I have. Or am I going to break the bank on a drill rider because we play pretty well, and I, you know, visually is where I need the most help. And I think some of that has to do with being honest with yourself about what your strengths and weaknesses are as a teacher or the people that you already have on staff. If you have a staff that you've had year after year after year, you know whether or not they're real detail oriented and you march really well or whether you or whether you need to be more concerned about how you're going to play. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess my point, Joe, I would ask you is we're talking about Marian Catholic coming out with these guard girls and and creating that presence, but I would wonder how many staff members and how many hours of training and instruction they've paid for to get those girls to that level. And I don't think a lot of bands have that money. Yeah, well, that's what I'm telling you was my problem. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just saying when you start talking about, we normally think about, don't we, when we think about high bucks for composition, we're normally thinking about visual design and props and guard equipment and guard costumes, right? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a... But that's not what I want this discussion necessarily to only I mean, be yeah, about. But we've not, but we've I, not stipulated that, but I think we ought to. We right. probably ought to agree on that. I, I, I totally agree with that, and I. But I still think that the one that has the the flags that are perfectly on theme, that are spectacular, and a prop and a costume, it does have an advantage over the guard that's having to use all of last year's stuff. Yeah, there's no doubt. But I, as a music educator, I'm sure I have a bias about that when I judge that I'm much more. And as a matter of fact, I do know in Bands of America, it's something that we talk about from time to time. How many students are involved in an exposure of achievement and how much is their training and skill contingent on that effect? In other words, you know, those 30 kids doing that guard thing should, should carry more weight in achievement than one person uh, virtuosically playing an electric keyboard or something, for example. You know, because that's one kid. They may be wonderful, but, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, but my point is if we're talking about money, a lot of money was spent to get those girls trained to that level. Probably, but you, you don't know that for sure, but probably. I and, I would, and I'm saying as an educator, I'd much rather people spend the bulk of their money on training kids to be uh, proficient at something than building the World Trade Center to knock it down. Well, and, and which Tim, I saw one time, by the way. You know, oh, Tim, and you, you really don't know. I mean, you, I mean, let's be honest. Let's, let's look at it this way. Maybe the the band that spent the most money this fall was thirtieth. It could be. Yeah, well, and absolutely, I, I understand that because there's something I mean, about the quality of. The, the training, the quality of the student that's there and how long they've been studying and their 
discipline. I, mean, I understand there's many, many well, factors. Well, and, well and, let's I, be, and let's be honest. A, a band that's got, you know, 10 brand new sousaphones, shiny sousaphones or tubas, um, uh, staring at you over a band that's got 10 dingy ones that are from, that they bought from the army surplus that were originally made in 1948. That's going to give people a different impression of what they're about to see. So, I mean, I mean, the question is, does someone who has money have a, an advantage? Well, I mean, unfortunately, human nature probably says yes, because shiny equals, you know, more eye catching and, you know, probably catches your attention a little more than, you know, dingy and old. I mean, you know, you, I'll use, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. And again, funny enough, this is going to come from Perry Elliott. Um, my, I, I, I had taken a job, um, at a school and, um, the, when I got there, the, the kids had not uh, been to a contest in a, in a while. And the gentleman who, um, had been there for me, he, he did not have money. And the kids were, when I got the job, the kids were wearing the same uniform that they had been wearing since 1970. And no one had bought them a new tuba or a new baritone or anything, uh, in, in years. And they, they did, they were playing tubas that were bought from the army surplus in the 50 that had been made in the thirties, but they bought them in the school in like 1970. And they were still playing on this stuff in 1999. And, um, I was, I was at a contest warming them up. I was, we were warming up in a, in a, I just remember Elizabeth then walked up and Perry looked over and he, he looked over and he looked at me and he got this real shocked look on his face and he came up and he said, Hey, 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 Greg, how are you? And I went, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? And he said, good. He said, uh, so he's like, I, I didn't, I didn't recognize you. And I said, well, you know, he said, and he hadn't seen the band in years and he, he called me on Monday and he said, you know, <clears throat> he said, when I saw the kids, he said, I just felt so, he said, I just started empathizing for them and felt so sorry for them. He said, he said, when I walked up, I did not realize it was you, nor did I realize it was them because I hadn't seen them in a while. And he said, I just, he said, it looked like Spanky and our gang and put a band together. And so what that tells you right there is, is that it does matter. Do you have baritones that, you know, uh, that look good and are workable? Do you have tubas that are look good and workable? Do your uniforms look good on the kids or are they threadbare? Because those things are all going to figure in a little bit because just like Joe and Trey were talking about a minute ago, when you come out of the tunnel, you're already creating an impression. When you get off the bus for that matter, you're already creating an impression. Can I so, piggyback on that really quick? Yeah. Because this is the kind of thing I have had to tell more close friends more often about certain things like this. You cannot expect a judge to tell you those things. No. They're not going to tell you that your equipment looks horrible. They're not going to tell you that your uniforms are ugly. They're just no. not going to do it. It's just, it's a human limitation, I, whatever you want to call it. There's just certain things that you just won't say out of basic humanity. And sometimes those foundational truths are the ones that sort of get ignored, exactly like Greg's saying. Well, and Joe, I mean, I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, how are you going to take it on a tape if, if Joe Allison says, well, you know what, that kid is, that, that these kids have really worked hard and, 
and I appreciate what they're doing, but you know, you're just not going to perform very well because your sousaphones are so old. They got so many leaks in them. You can't, I'm not getting a good quality of sound and they can't play them in tune. Yeah. I have said things like you might want to check certain equipment needs in certain places, but even that, that's, that's kind of getting in semi risky territory, I think. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, the bottom line is, I mean, it sounds funny, but you put, you put the most beautiful lady in the Miss America pageant in the ugliest dress and she's not going to win. <laughs> there, and there it goes. You can end the podcast on that right there. <laughs> Lipstick on a pig. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. And the same it thing. I noticed it this year, Tim, and I know this is probably for another podcast, but sitting at Bands of America without my band and just sitting there watching band after band after band, you know, there were a couple bands that really weren't bad, but they just didn't, even a couple semifinalists just didn't look like they belonged, and it really wasn't the way their kids played or marched. It was just the way, just the look that they had when they came out of the tunnel and even through the beginning of it where it was just just di- it was just different i don't know how to describe it i'm just telling you it looked they looked different than everybody else well and, and tim you know if you you want to go and you want to i mean that's just you want to go and you want to compete with the top 1% of bands in the country then you know you need to you need to, I mean, we're talking about it, looking the part, but then when you look the part, you got to have the, the capability to go along with that. And that means exposing your kids to people who are going to be able to give them quality instruction and be able to help you motivate them to always be working toward their absolute best performance for, you know, I mean, let's face it, Grand Nationals happens, you know, first week of November, first, second week of November. So, and you're starting on this bad boy, you know, well, I'm going to say the beginning of August, but I know some people crank it up starting in June. So you're, you're working on this show for four months. I mean, you're going to have to have some educators who know how to manage kids' heads as well. It's a long season. It really trying to, I think you're talking about, you know, when you talk about managing heads is how do you get the peak performance out of those people? And again, it goes back to why today tim's talking about money is you know you got to have great staff members but you got to have people that can even um manage the heads of the staff members that are managing the heads of the of the students as well yeah yeah i've known any number of people that when they finally got in their careers as directors to a situation where they could hire a big staff and do all those things have actually said that they liked it less because they spent all their time uh putting out fights between adults instead of kids yeah. right you know there's a, and believe me i've i have a really good friend right now that's kind of stumped about the whole thing because if he were here he would tell you you can hire the best name brand staff in the world and still not get a very effective program absolutely and pay yeah. them big bucks there's just way much that goes into it that's- i think what we're probably talking about here i mean we all know in truth that there is certainly a relationship between the demographic situation of a band program and its success most of the time i mean the fact if you even have a band program there has to be certain uh demographic imperatives there's got to be there's got to be disposable income for people to have instruments and uniforms and everything else so i think what we're really talking about is how do you circumvent that or even the playing field right i think so 
Well, that's certain, certainly that's where I want to go next because I don't want anyone listening to be disheartened and think, okay, well, I can't compete because I think that there are plenty of ways to, you know, fight against this issue. So let's maybe talk about a little bit of that. We continue this conversation on the next podcast where we share lots of smart ideas to make this matter less. The rest of this discussion on the next podcast. You can save money by learning lots of tips and getting great advice at no cost to you by listening to our podcast at the Marching Roundtable. Sign up for a free VIP membership to receive our bi-weekly newsletter and stay abreast of all upcoming podcasts. That way you won't miss any information that could be important for you. Thanks again to our sponsor, Box5 Software, creators of Envision 3D Drill Design Software, found at box5software.com. Thanks to our editor, Aaron Osborne. And thanks again to Trey and Greg for joining us. The Marching Roundtable now has over 1,000 VIP members, listeners, and fans who are following our podcast closely. If you or your company sponsor one of our podcasts, you'll have the ears of these listeners and many more like them who download thousands of podcasts each month, hearing your sponsor message. These listeners also could see your ad on every page of our website, plus see your company name and a link to your website in our bi-weekly newsletter, or where our podcasts are located. Find out more by clicking on Sponsorship Opportunities at our website at marchingroundtable.com or contact Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach.